0: Well, and that's the great privilege that we have to come together this morning and to um, lift up our praises in light of that amazing love. For many of us, maybe we've been saved for many years and we just really have forgotten the contrast between what it was like before we knew Christ and what it's like now that we know Him. Um, I came to know the Lord Jesus Christ at nine years of age and I've just quite frankly forgotten what it was like to be a lost person. But uh, the amazing love of God uh, continues to uh, grow in our hearts and our awareness of of just who God is and what He has done for us, and and so this morning we're we're here to to celebrate that. Last Sunday we had the opportunity to just uh, open up the letter to the Ephesians and realize uh, in a fresh way uh, the praiseworthy works of Almighty God and what He has done in salvation. And I, I'm, I was trying to think about the Ephesians themselves and what it would have been like to receive a letter from the Apostle Paul. And he sends them this letter, and I'm sure as they're reading it, they're, they're reading about God and what God has done for them in salvation and, and uh, enthusiastic about it. And, but they, they, as they were reading along, they were saying, yeah, but I, I hope we soon get to the part where Paul tells us what our contribution was to our, our salvation. And so as they're reading along, they're hoping to get there, and and uh, as they read through the end of first, first chapter, although it wasn't divided in chapters, as, as they got down to verse 23, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. And then it's almost as if Paul said, oh, and by the way, in case you were wondering what your part was in all of this, nothing, nothing, because you were dead, That's what he says here. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and your sins in which you used to live. Father, as we uh, now dive into uh, this uh, section of scripture that is so rich to us, it's so um, descriptive in in just a small uh, section of the magnitude of our salvation, I pray, O God, that That you would open up our hearts and our minds and and may we be aware and may we be ready to receive and respond to all that you have for us. And may our hearts truly be lifted up as we encounter the truth once again of our salvation and and how desperate our situation was and what a marvelous and miraculous thing you have done in rescuing us and bringing us into your family, adopting us as uh, sons and bringing us into your family. Oh God, we just pray that... That you might um, uh, help us to take what we receive and to, in in a new and powerful way, because of the work of your spirit in our lives, apply this um, so that we might live out our salvation uh, to the praise of the glory of our amazing God. For we ask this in Jesus' name and for His sake, Amen. Well, if you are there with me at Ephesians chapter two and you know that this text, this section of Scripture, Ephesians two one to ten is probably one of your favorite sections of Scripture. We, most of us know this section fairly well. Uh, it's our go-to place usually when we're talking about the, the mechanism of salvation, and what God has done for us. And Ephesians two, eight, nine, 9, and 10 are probably memorized by many people in, in the congregation. They mean so much to us. So th- this is not a section of Scripture that you're not aware of, but... But one of the things that is inserted here is these first three verses in chapter 2 really set the pace in terms of uh, of what we brought to the table with respect to salvation. Because so many of us like to think, well, you know, uh, I must have had something to do with this salvation. Uh, uh, surely I must have... Exercise my free choice and, and, and made a wise decision, and hey, look at me, and, and we look at other people who are lost, and we're like, why, why don't they get it? Why? It's, it's a very simple concept. Why can't they get it? And, and, uh, and we, we lose sense, all sense, uh, of the scriptures. We, we, we stray into philosophy and away from theology, and I, I want to bring us back to the Bible this morning and make sure that we understand that Paul is saying to them, if they were thinking this, here's why you were not free to choose Christ. That's, what he, that's the question he really answers here. And I, I was thinking about this this week, and uh, I couldn't have had a better example show up at, on The Tonight Show. Uh, Jimmy Fallon this week. Um, anybody see this where they, they had this group on called Santa Gold? That's her. That's Santa Gold up there. And um, she, in a, a stark moment of cultural honesty, sings a song... Uh, on the tonight show don't, don't look at me like you were reading your Bibles and I was watching the tonight show because <laughs> like come on come on and uh I, I have to get some cultural awareness or how am I going to bring this to you so I'm watching this show and she's singing a song called can't get enough of myself I, I you know I was like I I was in in one recess like, thank you Jesus because I have a great illustration for my sermon but I was just dis- I was disturbed I was obviously disturbed, as you are, and, and I'm looking at her, and I'm thinking, that's, that's like some dress. That, that dress has her face and hair on it, and she's singing, can't get enough of myself. And I was thinking, you know, in politics, in sports, in entertainment, in relationships, in marriage, that's the basic problem. We can't get enough of ourselves. And when Paul is writing, you were, you were dead in your trespasses and sins, sins, of course, is simply another way of, of, of uh, describing trying to live our lives our own way, going our own way, cutting God out, uh, trying to do life without the giver of life. And so, did you, hey, get my Santa gold up there. <laughs> I'm not finished with her yet. Thank you. Well... You don't know, but under this jacket, I have a picture of myself. Oh, I, because I can't get enough of myself. That, that's really the, the, the orientation of our lives is, is um, that, that we, we were dead in our trespasses and sins the way we used to follow. Look what he says here in these, these verses. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live. He's talking about every one of us When you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient, all of us, also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature or our flesh. We couldn't get enough of ourselves, and following its desires and thoughts like the rest, we were all by nature objects of wrath. Until, I think at least, until we understand how dead we were in sin, we will never really appreciate how alive we have become in Christ. And so we have to look at this again with the le- through the lens of our our eyes of the past. And and the eyes of, the, uh, of our present as we look around at our culture and see what, what everyone is like. It's simply, simply put, the Apostle Paul teaches us here that we had no ability, no desire to reach out to God. Um, we were like this dead remnant of my Valentine's gift to my wife. It is dead. It is incapable of life. It's incapable of producing little, little purple plants. It's, it's done. It's finished. This is the description of how we were before God got a hold of our lives. We were dead. There was nothing in us that could reach out to God. We were spiritually dead. No desire No life, nothing that could reach out. It would be like me saying to this plant, all right, plant, get up, put yourself in the ground, and come alive. And we can do that all we like, but that plant can't pick itself up and stick itself in the ground and start to grow again. And that's exactly how our lives were before Christ did something amazing for us. Christ picked us up and attached us to himself that we might come alive in Jesus Christ. That's the upshot of this letter that he says, because as you notice in verse 4, this is what he says, but because of his great love for us, God who is rich in mercy made us alive with Christ. So let's understand our situation. We were never free to choose Christ because we were spiritually Dead in our sins. Any discussion of free will in the sense of responding to Christ is tragically laughable. It's not not possible. It's the same as if that plant could stand up in the ground and come alive again. It's not possible. Dead in our trespasses and sins. Dominated by the ruler of the kingdom of the air and by the desires of your flesh. We left God out finding life without the life giver. We followed formally our master in terrible bondage to the whims of the evil one. That's who we were. We were addicted to ourselves. We were addicted to our flesh. Addicts are not free. They are not free. All of us, by nature, were gratifying the cravings of our flesh. We constantly we're looking for the next fix for our flesh. That's who we were. And because of our nature, we were deserving of the wrath of God. We couldn't get enough of ourselves for ourselves. That's the state we were in. But there's a reason why the human situation isn't hopeless. Because in that description, human beings are hopelessly lost. There's no possibility for reaching out to God, but it says in the text, but God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love for us, verse 5, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in our trespass. So why then are we now free to live for Christ? Because God is great in love and rich in mercy. Thank God. That's why we have hope. That's why we have anything possible for us when christ and when did this happen when christ was raised from the dead himself that's the amazing thing this text teaches us that when christ when god the father raised christ from the dead he raised us up with him as well that's what the text teaches us god when christ was raised from the dead all of those who were in christ which we learned last week was before the foundation of the world, were also raised with Christ and seated with Him in heavenly realms. This is an amazing truth. And I know many of you are looking at me with perplexed eyes. What are you talking about? We learned last week that God purposed and planned in His heart to make Himself a family before He even breathed the universe into existence. One of the great challenges of our life to understand our salvation is that we live in time. We live chronologically. That's how we understand. That's how we see things. God does not live in time. God lives outside of time. God always lives in the eternal present. That's who God is. And so before the foundation, before God even breathed the universe into existence... He chose himself a family. And we learned last week that he placed us in Christ. He knew you before you were even born. He planned and purposed you before you were even born. And he placed you in Christ. Those of you who've come to know the Lord as your Lord and Savior were placed in Christ before the universe was even formed. And when... Therefore, when God raised Jesus from the dead, he in effect raised all of us who were in Christ. That's why the text like, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Well, when I think of myself, when was I a sinner 2,000 years ago? I wasn't a sinner 2,000 years ago, but in the mind of God, I was a sinner 2,000 years ago because he knew who I was. So while I was yet a sinner, Christ died for me. While I was yet an enemy of God, Christ died for me. While I was still in my sins, God raised Jesus from the dead and raised us up with Christ with him and seated us in the heavenlies in Christ. That's the reality of our salvation. That's what God has done for us. Salvation, then, is a radical reposition of a human, repositioning of a human heart into an entirely different realm an entirely different placement in christ he made us alive he raised us up he seated us in the heavenlies in christ he completely changed our placement and our address our address is now in christ that's how alive he has made us and he he enlivened us to have the spiritual capacity now to love trust and obey God in a stunning and noticeable way because he grafted us into his body. We are now in Christ, made fully alive. That's our salvation. So what God did for his son by raising him to life, he did also for us. He made us alive in Christ. So, contrary to what you might think, it wasn't because you heard a great sermon one day and resuscitated yourself. No, no, no. God intervened in your situation when he set you apart before he even breathed the universe into existence. He placed you in Christ then. He raised you with Christ at the tomb. That's why Easter weekend is so powerful for us. It was at the tomb, at the resurrection of Jesus Christ, that we were made alive. We celebrate that on Easter weekend. That was when we came alive, is is at the tomb when God God the Father raised Christ and welcomed the gospel and enabled us to welcome the gospel one day into our hearts. And God saved us as we've learned, to put his grace on display, that we might show uh, the, the amazing goodness and mercy and kindness of God every day of our lives, to show off the incomparable riches. Look at as you read in this. And God raised us, verse 6, up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms, which is the ultimate reality in Christ Jesus, in order that in the coming ages, he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. Do you realize what that is saying to us? When is the coming ages? Now? Is that when he's showing his grace to us? Yes, he is, but that's not what this is talking about. This is saying that if you like the grace that God has demonstrated to you now, if you are thrilled with what God has done in your life and you are thankful every day of your life for the grace of God, Jesus is saying to us in his word here, you ain't seen nothing yet. Okay? Because in the coming ages, God has brought us into his family to show off his glory in its fullness in the coming ages, when Christ comes and we are brought together to be with him for all of eternity, God is going to show off what he has yet to have shown us in the immensity of his grace. The incomparable riches of his grace is yet waiting for us. It's, it's like the dessert, you know. It's like save the fork. You know that story, right? It's like save your fork because the best is yet to come. Dessert's always the best. You should eat it first. If you have anything, any room left over, then you can eat the first course. That's my theory. Anyway, that's my philosophy of life. You think I'm, I'm not telling the truth? Jim will tell. Jim and, and Nick will tell you that's the truth. What we did this week on Thursday is we ate donuts, and then we went out to Five Guys afterwards. That's what we did. We had dessert first, and then we went to Five Guys. This, this is an amazing promise that God has given us here what God is doing for us. Since we were dead and couldn't qualify, we couldn't produce anything to deserve our salvation, we came urgently needing the grace of God. And what does grace mean? It means the undeserved favor of God. God's grace is the, is the total game changer of our lives. And Christ's resurrection secured our salvation and the object of our faithfulness. You'll notice in, there's a, a phrase here that captivated my attention and i I looked at it and studied it verse eight for it is by grace you have been saved you you might you might just read that and say well that's nice but if you're a sort of a a biblical scientist and you're going to study that that's a very unusual uh, phraseology in description of our salvation the tense that's used there is, is not usually used for our salvation. That tense there is, is what we call the perfect tense, which means that the salvation that it's talking about there is something that happened in the past and has continuing results. Something that happened way in the past and has continuing results. The, there's no accident why the Holy Spirit chose for Paul to use that exact kind of uh, verb tense. It is to corroborate what he has just been saying. Your salvation occurred... Before, and now you are experiencing the continuing results of that. For it is by grace, while you were yet sinners, while you were yet an enemy of God, uh, um, before before there was anything that you could do, you were brought into uh, the kingdom and the family of God. You have been saved. And with continuing results, we were at the cross with Christ. Our sins were nailed to the cross While we were still enemies, Christ died for us and raised us with him. This is the amazing truth of of what we learn in this text. And as you continue to read along, you're saying to me, aha, wait a second, Rick. You haven't mentioned anything about through faith. I knew there was something that I brought to this table. I I knew we would find something in this text that, that I could pat myself on the back and say, look at me, aren't I bright? Are you aware as you continue to read what it says? For it is by grace you have been saved through faith and this, not from yourselves, it is the gift of God. This whole package deal of salvation, including the faith to believe, is a gift from God. The grace of God comes with the power of God to make a life of faith in God even possible. Now, every father in here will fully understand this illustration. If you have anything to do with the gift that you receive... It is not really a gift. Regularly, I have forked out my own money, handed it to my offspring, who in turn turns around and uses some of it to buy me a gift. Not that one. Probably Graydon or Bronwyn. Probably Graydon. (laughs) He's too far away to know or worry about it. And when you have participated in your own gift, it's not really a gift. If we could say that in any way we participated in our salvation, then the scriptures telling us that it is a gift from God are lying to us. This faith that we have is not... Unfortunately, this word faith has been maligned and misused in, in, in our culture. We talk about people of faith and the faith community and all that. And all we're saying now, that all faith means is that you, have, that you believe something, even if it's bizarre. That's not what this faith is. The faith that is referred to here with respect to salvation, saving faith, is granted to us as a package deal of the grace of God. The grace of God comes with the power from God in order to enable dead people to respond spiritually to the living God, in enabling us to live a faith-filled life, which doesn't mean just believing the right things or or or, or understanding the theological terminology, it means a complete radical life change that really validates that true salvation has come. God commits himself to us and attaches himself to us in Christ. We, in turn, live out the implications of that adhesion, as one uh, interpreter calls it. God gives us himself by placing us in Christ. We are grafted into Christ. 164 times it talks about now we're placed in Christ. So now the energy of Almighty God, the power of God, flows through us and enables us now to live a faith-filled life in Christ, trusting him, following him, serving him. Uh, Biblical faith is when our address actually changes We're connected to him, and our culture changes. We're now in Christ. We're Canadian, or we're American, or we're Nigerian, or whatever we are, but the the most significant cultural address is in Christ. Christian. Unfortunately, Christian is is, is is not a very useful term, but it ought to be. It ought to express the, fa- the, the true reality that, that people who are calling themselves Christians are, are calling themselves that because they culturally are in Christ. And, and that manifests itself in a notable way. People, ex- people experience that and, and see that. Faith, this kind of faith isn't a decision. It's a new lifetime disposition, a new nature. Faith that has no serious commitment or no change to it is not characteristic of this kind of faith. This is now a life embedded in the radical trust and service of Christ. And all of this moves itself down to verse 10, which says, For we are God's workmanship, created in christ jesus to do good works which god prepared in advance for us to do you are not saved by good works every other religion will tell you that's how you come to god it's all about works but one thing the bible makes abundantly clear we can't boast it's a gift you can't come to god by works we can't gain our salvation through works That's the distinction between other religions and Christianity. Unfortunately, there's wings of Christianity that teach this incorrectly and suggest that you can come to God through works. You can't come to him through works. Otherwise, we could boast. Otherwise, it wouldn't be a gift. We would say, well, God, you owe me this. But that's not what the scriptures teach ever. We can't come to God by works. We weren't saved by works, but we were saved For good works, we were saved to do good works. That's what this says. You are God's workmanship. You were not saved by good works, but you are saved for good works. As John Stott correctly puts it, good works are indispensable to salvation because they authenticate that we're the real deal. Now, this actually says here that you are God's workmanship. You are God's masterpiece. That's what this word really means. Because he's taken you from dead and made you alive. That's, a, that's an incredible transition. It's a from masterpiece to masterpiece. That's what this teaches. And you get up in the morning, you know, and you look in the mirror, and it may be a mess, but, but you can look at that thing in the mirror and you can say, you know what? You are truly a masterpiece. You can. Theologically, you're allowed to. If you know the Lord Jesus Christ, he's, he's made you into a masterpiece of His grace, of His glory. You demonstrate the greatness of God and what He has done by the riches of His mercy and His love. That's what you're called to do. In fact, um, creation itself and, and the new creation are the ways God makes Himself known to His cre- Creation. Our mission statement here at Calvary is to know Christ and to make Him known. That's what we do. That's what we're called to do. You were, this is your purpose in life. Your purpose in life is to do good works, to bring God's goodness and the awareness of God's goodness to this world. Wherever we go, if, if, we're, a, if we're a believer, wherever we go, people should say after we leave, whoa. Now, for no other reason than for them to say, you know, I, I, I don't believe in God or I, I don't know about this Jesus thing or all that. But if I did believe in God, if, if I did believe in Jesus, I feel like this person who is just in my presence is as close to him as I think he should be. It, it's like when we, if, if we are truly models of God's grace then when we walk away from a moment with someone, they should be like, whoa, whoa, that was, that was really something. That's what this means. We are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus, to do good works, prepared in advance for us to do. When do you think that preparation was? You got it. Before God even spoke the universe into existence. He knew you and purposed you for his assignment to bring his grace and the awareness of his glory to a world that turns its back on him. What a lofty and amazing assignment. And who is equal for this? If it weren't for the grace of God that empowers us, None of us could do this. One writer says this, evangelism that works is people actually seeing a life worth living. Isn't that good? Beliefs worth having and a change worth noting. God's masterpiece of salvation is radically changed lives that have gone from once dead To rooted, connected, attached to the power of the living God to come alive and be truly alive in Christ. Modeling the power of God's grace to transform people to live completely for Christ. Beloved, you know what? You weren't chosen just to be saved and go to heaven although that's the reward that you get to look forward to. You were saved to live saved now. All of the scriptures spend all of their time emphasizing that, emphasizing our life now. Yes, there's stuff that talks about the end, but there's far more that talks about how we live now. God targeted you to display the nature of His grace to all of creation. And in a moment, we're going to gather around the table of the Lord and remind ourselves of how much the Lord has done for us in salvation and to praise Him and to thank Him, to lift up our hearts, knowing He has invited us, He has raised us from the dead and brought us to life. But perhaps we're still unaware of the stark contrast between how we were and how we are now maybe many of us or maybe some of us here this morning are still lost and still have never responded to the gospel message and as we gather at this table this is a table of celebrating our salvation this is a recommitment of our vows to the lord that lord thank you for making us alive and we recommit ourselves to serving you with all of our hearts that's what this is all about and if you don't know jesus as lord and savior you can't do that but the, the beauty of the gospel is that the invitation uh, of salvation is open this morning. You, you can respond to the truth and you can receive Christ and then you can participate in this. Uh, but, but maybe we missed out on the contrasts of the life before and the life after Christ. And, and these contrasts are found in these 10 verses in Ephesians chapter 1 or 2, 1 through 10. There are two ways to live. That's what's contrasted here very, very clearly. And And as we look about this, the question is, which side are you on? What characterizes or what describes your life? And it goes like this. Those without Christ are dead. Those with Christ are alive. You are either in sin or you are in Christ. You are either worshiping yourself or you are worshiping God. You belong to the world or you belong to Christ. You are controlled by Satan, or you are controlled by the Holy Spirit. You are under the wrath of God, or you have been raised with Christ into the heavenlies. You are either dominated by the power of evil, or you are overwhelmed by the power of God's grace. So, which side of life do you find yourself this morning And importantly, if you find yourself this morning on the side that's dead, I have good news for you. The offer of salvation through Christ Jesus is available to everyone here this morning. It's available to you by simply welcoming and receiving Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. And I'm going to invite all of those this morning who have invited Christ into their lives to join us and participate here at the table of the Lord. If, if you have not, I, I urge you to respond right now and, and welcome the Lord into your heart. Receive him now and you can participate. If you, if you are not there yet, then we ask you to stay with us through this time and, and uh, not participate in the receiving of these elements because they are symbolic of a changed heart and a changed life from death to life would you stand as we pray father i just pray this morning and ask you ask you to continue to make your word powerful in our lives lord may it may it uh, shake us from our lethargy lord when we come to terms with understanding the greatness of the grace of god in our salvation May we not um, be, uh, lack passion in terms of uh, the responsibility we have to, to be your workmanship and to, to do the good works that you prepared in advance for us to do, but may we serve you with a fullness of heart, and may we sacrifice on your behalf because you've loved us so much, and you continue to love us. And Lord, if there's someone here this morning who is yet to respond to this great gospel truth that uh, you save people... And uh, Christ died on a cross that we might have salvation by, by rece- responding to him, by repenting of our sins and, and responding to him and welcoming him into our lives to change us. Lord, if there's someone here this morning whose heart you are pulling to yourself, I pray that they would respond to the gospel and stop resisting you, but, but actually turn their lives over to you. For, for Christ's name, in Christ's name I pray, amen. Beloved be very careful that we don't lose our balance on these things. The teachings of Ephesians chapter 1 and 2 are meant to cause us to praise the Lord with all of our hearts. Not to lose hope in the salvation of the lost. Because our God is a saving God. The same Jesus who in Matthew 22 said the reason that so many say no to salvation is because they can't say yes is the same Jesus who said he has come to seek and to save that which is lost the same Jesus who in Matthew 13 said that 75 percent of the people don't hear the gospel is the same Jesus who commissions us as the church to go and share the gospel with every living creature. We are called to praise God, of course, for his work at overcoming the impossible, bringing us from death to life, raising our our lives to to newness of life and, and enabling us to demonstrate his workmanship in us is also the same God who told Paul to stay in Corinth because he yet had many who belonged to him. And the fact that Jesus has not yet returned is really a message to us today, I believe, that God has yet many in Oshawa, many in Whitby, many in our region, yet to respond to the gospel. And we're to stay at our post evangelizing, Committing ourselves to sharing the gospel with Jesus Christ. The reason that I have hope and you have hope of salvation for people's lives is because once you and I were like this, dead. And God knows how to save people. He knows how to raise people to life, to bring them to himself. I've been saved now for 51 years. And I have never, ever in my life witnessed god turn away anyone who comes to him and responds to the gospel the bible says whoever calls on the name of the lord will be saved and i believe that with all of my heart that's the truth there are just some things that are so beyond us god's ways are above our ways and why wouldn't they be he's god and so we hold these truths in balance God saves. We have nothing to do with it. God reaches more people. We are called to give them the gospel. That's our assignment. That's what our workmanship is all about. So let's passionately, I don't know of any other person who was more passionate for evangelism than the Apostle Paul who wrote these very things by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And we ought to, we ought to reflect his life in our passion as well. Our Father, we praise you, we thank you, we lift up your name. We thank you for our salvation. We realize, oh God, that we were dead, totally incapable of responding to the Spirit of God, responding to the gospel truth. By nature, we were looking for the next fix for our flesh. That's who we were. We couldn't get enough of ourselves. And now, O oh Lord, the transition has been remarkable. You have raised us to life, and now we can't get enough of Jesus. And Lord, I just pray that that might characterize Calvary Baptist Church as we continue to move forward, having made these renewal of vows right here this morning at the table of the Lord, recommitting ourselves to the mission for which you have called us. And we pray all of this in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen.